The UDR cast is not affiliated and does not represent any 12-step fellowship. I, Bill Ward, the host of the UDR cast, will be sharing my experience and my journey of recovery. That does include, but is not limited to, the literature contained in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 Steps. Our guests will be sharing their own path to recovery and what has worked for them. The UDR cast encourages and supports all paths to recovery. Welcome everybody to the UDR cast. UDR stands for Uncover, Discover and Recover. My name is Bill Ward and I'm coming to you from the recovery capital of Canada, Calgary, Alberta. Here we are going to discuss everything recovery, different perspectives, different experiences, both with the people I know and with others from around the world. If you resonate with anything you've heard on this episode today, we ask that you share it with anyone who you think may benefit from it. If you have any questions or comments, please find us at billward.life and send us a message in the info section. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. If you are interested in more recovery content, you can find the buttons for the YouTube channel and other social media outlets on the homepage, and you will be redirected to those platforms. We can recover. One person, one family, one community at a time. The UDR cast is not affiliated and does not represent any 12-step fellowship. I, Bill Ward, the host of the UDR cast, will be sharing my experience and my journey of recovery. That does include, but is not limited to, the literature contained in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 Steps. Our guests will be sharing their own path to recovery and what has worked for them. The UDR cast encourages and supports all paths to recovery. Welcome everybody to the UDR cast. UDR stands for Uncover, Discover and Recover. My name is Bill Ward and I'm coming to you from the recovery capital of Canada, Calgary, Alberta. Here we are going to discuss everything recovery, different perspectives, different experiences, both with the people I know and with others from around the world. If you resonate with anything you've heard on this episode today, we ask that you share it with anyone who you think may benefit from it. If you have any questions or comments, please find us at billward.life and send us a message in the info section. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. If you are interested in more recovery content, you can find the buttons for the YouTube channel and other social media outlets on the homepage, and you will be redirected to those platforms. We can recover, one person, one family, one community at a time. Janine, you're here and you want to talk about grief. I guess you've seen in the rooms, um, you know, as you've been around a little while now and you're interacting with many different uh, types of people through your sponsorship and through fellowship and, you know, your Facebook and all these different aspects of interaction with people, you're seeing a lot of people struggling and not knowing how to grieve. And so 
part of this conversation today is we want to be able to try to help people understand grieving and be able to grieve, correct? Yeah, and not just to understand grief, but how to apply the 12 steps and our literature and how to support others within the rooms when they're going through grief and when they've experienced a loss. Okay. To me, grieving is a process that is individual to everybody and it takes fuck, it takes a long time. And uh, depending on where you're at within your smashing of your ego, if you're still really connected to your ego, then you're going to grief and you're going to suffer a lot. But if you're working the 12 steps as per the practical application of what the steps do, then you will be able to navigate grief in a positive manner because you're you're disassembling the ego, which is actually what attaches mostly to the suffering part of the grieving process. So you were going to talk about some part of the science that because your background is very scientific. And uh, so we're going to try to help people understand in a way that, you know, uses science and spirituality, correct? Yeah, I think there's a benefit to that because there's a lot of people who, you know, they they really value the why in understanding. And I think often um, in understanding the why can help conceptualize where they are in that process. Um, just like how you would explain to somebody and how you've like explained to me along the way, one of the things that's been really beneficial is saying, okay, this is, this is coming up because this is where you're at in recovery. And this is what's going to happen after step five. You're going to have a step six, seven kind of drop off where these things happen. And then, you know, year two, year three, these things are happening. And just the knowing of where you are in that process helps a person to navigate that. So I think that that's where, you know, the science can can be beneficial in understanding some of those things just to give a person, you know, a, a placement in their process. Okay, I get you. So in in a sense, so last year was year six for me. I went through a, a really dark time um, in April, May into June of last year. That ironically, in my sixth year, and why I say ironically in my sixth year is because to me, step six is a lot of pain and humiliation. And there's some fucking darkness as you're working mm -hmm. through some of the shit that you're trying to relinquish. So in my sixth year, I had one of my toughest stretches in all of my recovery. And uh, but the thing that I knew is I knew that what I was going through was part of the process. And there was a lot of grieving in there. And I was grieving you know, I realized um, we had a meeting. It was a Fellowship of the Spirit meeting that we do on Zoom. And this woman that I had sponsored had just lost her father. And she was on the meeting and she was dealing with this, right? Or trying to deal with it. And, you know, this woman's really attached to her ego. And, and honestly, she suffers a lot. And a lot of it's self-imposed. But regardless, besides the point, she brought up the topic of uh, grieving and loss in recovery. And a number of people shared on the topic. And then I got to share, maybe fifth person in. And then something hit me. But I was already going through some, uh, some let's say, shadow work. I was doing some work with my sponsor that was like uh, deeper level stuff where I was trying to pull some of this up. But it hadn't actually been pulled up really. We were working through it. But 
really when we're working this, we can't always see what's happening in the subconscious. Mm -hmm. So I didn't actually see what was happening. And then when this woman brought up the topic and I started sharing, there was like, my mind went, holy fuck, you're going to cry and you're going to cry big. And you got 20 people on the meeting. Are you going to cry or are you going to say, fuck it? And I almost said, I'm, I'm not going to share and passed. But then like all these split second thoughts in my brain were like, okay, well, you can validate others that they can also share and be vulnerable if you do that right now. And then I decided in the split second that I'm going to share and I fucking bawled my ass off. And I cried and I cried from the depths of my soul. And in these moments of these shares, I realized I had never grieved the loss of my family. I never grieved the loss of my relationship with my wife, Shannon. I had never grieved the loss of my business or the loss of anything. And we mostly think that grieving is only about people. But no, grieving also can be uh, categorized into belief systems. They can be categorized into old behaviors. They can be categorized into many different things. And in this big share that I had, I realized I hadn't actually grieved much of anything. Mm -hmm. Which is why, you know, I talk a lot about in the program, like if you don't keep a clean house and you're able to deal with the shit when the shit comes up, the shit will deal with you. So as I went through this dark 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 time i felt like my skin was crawling and i couldn't fucking do anything i'd lay in bed and i could see my skin crawling because i was so full of fucking anxiety and fear and all this shit and i would drive out to the mountains and i would try to relieve myself because driving to the mountains normally fucking works for me going for drives doing certain things nothing was working for me i basically stopped going to meetings and I would go to the odd meeting. And I remember this woman who knows me really well. She looked at me and she said, are you okay? You don't look very good. And I'm like, I'm not very good. And I usually am pretty good. But I wasn't good. Um, and I remember through that period, you know, it was probably two or three months long. There was thoughts like of suicide. But the thing that kind of held me on going back to your point about knowing what you're going through and me being able to predict like what you were going to go through as you were going through it. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is going to happen at here and this is going to happen and watch for this and blah, blah, blah. I knew what was happening. I just didn't know how long it was going to happen for. So even though I had thoughts of suicide and I couldn't shake this off of me and no matter what I was doing, I couldn't get through it. I had to feel myself through it. And I had to let the energy run through me and I had to just give it the time that it needed. So when you were going through that, you, how did you know where you were at in that process? Like, did you have somebody talking to you about that or did you learn that through the literature or how, how did you know where you were and, and how to get out of that and how to navigate through it? So me personally, and I don't even really want to talk about this because I don't want people going out and doing what I'm going to talk about. Because I think it's very detrimental to the organic process of grieving and recovery. But I was, you know, I was uh, six years sober at that time. And I was basically doing shadow work. So I was reading shadow work books and I was studying shadow work at the time. Was this around the time that you did that step four just on shame? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And so I knew what kind of to expect. But I also read that like if people go into this shadow work and they're not prepared they can actually they will fucking kill themselves 
right? So I don't want people going into shadow work. I don't want them looking up shadow work. I have well, sponsees that look it up and try it. And I'm like, drop that shit. Because really what you're doing when you start digging into the shadow and you're not ready is you're stirring up subconscious shit that doesn't need to be stirred up because the process of the steps is organic and it will come up when you're ready for it. But because self is so wants what it wants, it starts digging around in toxic shit that it has no business digging around in. And then you will fucking pay for that because you're not ready for it yet. So what, what was your motivation in doing that? Well, I knew I was doing that deep set of steps with my sponsor, right? And I was doing it out of another 12-step piece of literature that when he started working with me, he's like, do not do this with anybody else because it's so deep. Mm. So that's what, what was happening with my sponsor. And I knew what we were doing. And so, he was very cautious and he had done it before. So I had an experienced person guiding me through this whole process. And during this, so was this before you lost your grandma? Oh no, this was way after I lost my grandma. This was in my sixth year recovery, which was, you know, last year. And we're in 2022 right now and I'm seven and a half years. So, you know, it's about a year and a bit ago now. I lost my grandma in 2009. Okay, so were you were you using when you lost your grandma? That was the year. The year I lost my grandma was the year I started smoking crack, yeah. Okay, because the, the, like you bring up a good point about, you know, like when you start peeling back the layers and things are coming out and you're realizing like, wow, I, I lost this or this changed and, and I lost that as a result. And, you know, grief, grief and loss, like the thing is, is that it starts with change. A change will promote loss whether it's good or bad that change you end up with a loss of some type and if we're not being mindful and if we're not connected to our ourselves and our spirit these changes happen and we don't stop and and actually process and then we end up with a bunch of change we never ever grieved and it can hit us all at once if we're that lucky but a lot of times people just stay busy they stay distracted they stay in self and they never ever get to that place where they're actually processing the grief that they carry with more than just people and then as a result of that this compounding grief that they're carrying they lose someone and then that's even harder to get through because they've never ever processed any of it in the first place 100 percent. and honestly the catalyst to this the triggering for the grief that i ended up opening up to was actually the catalyst was an ended relationship that I'd been in for four years that I finally had to try to cut off. And that was actually the catalyst to open everything up. Okay. Um, so what have you, so since then, like going through the, the grief process around the things that you talked about that weren't people, um, what, 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 are, what are some takeaways from that that you, that you use to help others going through the same type of thing? Well, some of the takeaways are, so I have eight, almost eight years recovery, seven and a half years going on eight. And I'm like, I always look back and I look at what happened through my earlier years right up until, you know, last month. I always connect the dots backwards. And I know that... And because I've sponsored so many people, I have the data that I collect through sponsorship, which is tremendously effective and, and great data to use moving forward to help others. 
and I see that most people distract themselves early in their recovery. They get sober, they remove the substance, mm -hmm. they stay busy, they do the things that you do that you need to do, and this is part of the process, in the first year or two. And then they get to that third year and they don't know how to transition from like the doing part to part of the feeling part. And a lot of the grief that I found doesn't really come up in the third year, even though it's starting to percolate because now some of those feelings are coming up, but, but the big open part of the grieving doesn't come till like year four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, And I'm not there yet, but through the sponsorship, I have that data. So that's part of what I've collected and how I am able to help people with that today is like just for example at the meeting the other day I mentioned like you have to fucking watch your feelings and your emotions and what's happening at year two into three. And so many people have been messaging me lately on that because they're going through it because our fellowship is now producing people with two and three years. Whereas that wasn't always the case. And they're getting into four and five years, which wasn't always the case. And why I think people are getting time in now is because more people are working the practical application and the directions contained within our literature. And they're actually staying sober. Whereas in the past, they would normally go out when these spots would hit. And they didn't, they didn't know what to do with it because no one was giving them any, you know, predictions of Right. This is coming. Yeah. And you're also kind of talking about the theory of God versus, you know, when you come up against the practical application. And I was just talking about this with somebody yesterday and and how they were questioning that. And, and that's been a, a, a theme with people as you've been talking about it. And this person had attended your book study and and the question of. Am I running on my own will or is it God's will and is God a theory or is it not? And that seems to be a mind bender at some at some point in somebody's recovery early on once they know that it's coming up. And so this this has just happened for this person. And we were talking about that. And and I just said, you know, like it, it's I remember going through that, you know, and you were talking about it to me in Medicine Hat. And I was all like mind mush about like, is it a theory? Is it not? Is it, you know, and, and what I learned and what I said to this person is that it's a theory until it's not you know like you get out of treatment and you get the job and you get the relationship or you get your kids back or get your license back all this life is happening and you know people can sometimes think oh this is god or they're just really busy with what's going on and then that kind of wears off and then something comes where they have to make a hard decision right am i going to live in recovery or am i going to do what i always did and, and that's where God becomes an actual practical application and I'm going to rely on God versus, you know, what I've been doing, which is just a theory until it's not, right? Yeah. And part of the God not being a theory is following the practical application of what is in our step work and doing the things that the step work actually says, i.e. your step 10. Mm -hmm. And talking to pillars and not running your own life. The thing about God turning from a theory into not a theory is as you work a solid program in that first two years, you start understanding self. And once you can combat self with the processes, especially step 10, you can, maybe you can't always see God's will, but you can definitely see your will. Am I selfish, resentful, dishonest, or afraid? There's my will. And I follow the process and I relinquish that. 
the problem is, is that I might not get what I want because God is everything. He's the seemingly good and the seemingly bad. And we usually want what we want. So we always think that God's will is what we want. Sometimes God's will is what we don't want. And we have a hard time accepting that. But once you can accept that and you start working the practical application, which doesn't happen till year two or three really anyway. And why that's so important is because as you stay sober longer, you need more fucking God. Because that first year is usually mostly theoretical God and it's the momentum. It's like a wave of fellowship, a wave of positive momentum that takes you into that second and third year where life gets fucking real. And the old habits of running your life again come back. So you got to be hyper aware of self and then follow the processes so you can navigate your way through that shit. So when you're saying you work to work a solid program, you're meaning to actually when it comes up against doing what you want versus doing the right thing or following God's will or not acting in self, you know, turning down the relationship or you know, not taking a job that sells your soul out. Making those hard decisions is what you're talking about, right? Instead of doing what you always did, you're doing something different as this book describes. And in that transition, it becomes a theory to a practical application and you're really actually relying on God. Right. And a lot of times by not taking that job, not going into that relationship, there's a lot of pain in that, right? And that is the inner turmoil before serenity. That is your step six in live action. But as you go through that pain and there's a knowing in you that knows what you're doing is right, um, you actually get driven more to God. So the foundation of your life, life is kind of shaking because you're fucking scared because the security of what you had maybe in this job for that money of this company you don't want to work for because you sell pieces of your soul, you know that if you don't take that, you might not have the money. And that's really scary. So you go harder to God. And then when you're really reliant on God, God has a way of fucking giving you what you need. But sometimes the test comes down to the fucking wire, right? And through the process of doing what's hard, which is maybe not taking the job, not getting in the relationship, not fucking lashing out and doing what you've always done. What happens underneath the surface is you're building character and you're building trust in God and you're kind of, stepping into that unknown and that's really where the gift and the growth really come the the illusion of security it's an illusion the only real security i think we have as human beings is our ability to contend with the challenge that's put in front of us and to navigate it in a proper way so we can actually build true self-confidence from a place of fucking truth and then take that next baby step so i think that like I was just kind of going through memory lane here um, about the importance of having somebody who's been there, done that. And that whole idea of frothy emotional appeal and, and how that doesn't that doesn't work for our defects either or the change that we're trying to make or having somebody who's never gone through it go into the unknown and telling you like, hey, go into the unknown and, and they don't have any experience in that. And that that's how we became friends is, you know, when we first had conversations and, you know, we were talking about the field I work in or having conversations around that. And then a couple of weeks later, 
here I was, remember I was going to interview for that job. And then you called me and you're like, what? It was like five minutes before the interview. And then you're like, what are you doing? And I tell you, oh, I'm interviewing for this, for this job. And then you're like, so you're going to interview for a job that you don't want, that you wouldn't take, that, that would make, why would you do that kind of thing? And I said, oh, that's a good point. And then I cried and I got off the phone and you said, I'm just going to let you go do what you got to do, pray, talk to your higher power. And it was five minutes before the interview. And I remember I was just crying and I was like, and it was so terrifying to let go of what I thought that I, I knew. And I wasn't even in the moment. I was taking a leap of faith that someone else had done it and that if I was going to do this, that I was going to see a different result. And so I, I wasn't, I wasn't letting go because of my faith. I was letting go because you had done that, done that and, and you, you were loving the life that you live. And that gave me hope that if I went into the unknown for myself, that I was going to be okay and I was going to be better than okay and that I could have that too. And so for me, that's been how my recovery has been is to be listening to the people who have been through what, what, I, what I'm going through or where I want to go. And it's using their experiences that allow me to go into the unknown. Because if I was just left to myself to try to navigate the forest of recovery, say, or, you know, stepping into the unknown in, in more general ways, I wouldn't be able to do that with any assurance that it was going to be okay. And therefore, I would sit in, in this old belief and that's where I would stay. And that's where a lot of people stay. And you would stay there out of self-centered fear, out of the illusion of security. Mm-hmm and sell little pieces of your soul for something you knew that's eating your soul. So you went into that interview, and from what I recall, um, they were expecting you to interview and take the position, and what did you say in that interview? I said, I have given it some second thought, and I don't want to waste your time with the interview. I think we should just call it here. And, and I felt, you know, embarrassed, for sure, that I'd canceled the interview interview last minute, but... After I got off the phone, I just felt like, oh, like peaceful. And then this ripping of like, oh my God. And it was like my ego was coming back, just saying like, what did you do? Like you, you've just blacklisted yourself from that company. People are going to talk about you. And uh, I went back to just like, no, this is, this is what I need to do is to step into the unknown because the way that I was living my life before addiction or not, um, I wasn't happy. And I, I had come to a place, addiction or not, that I had realized that the material stuff and the job and the status and all these things is not how I wanted to, f to live my life anymore. And that life is really short and um, time's ticking. And I wanted to make the changes and I never knew how to make the changes until I got into this program, till I met you, till I started doing this stuff. And honestly, like I, I've learned so much in just working with others as well. Like when you talk about collecting data and that being like probably the most powerful thing in, in the sense of, you know, understanding addiction or understanding the design for living. Um, I like that better because it applies to everybody. Like all this, all this is applicable to, to the general population. And you can see it like you can really apply the after step one, like all the rest of the stuff you can apply to the way that everybody lives their lives full of fear and thinking that these solutions they grab outside of themselves are going to be the thing that makes them happy. And, you know, the book talks about how, you, you know, you grab for it and you grab for it. And I don't know where in the book, tell me what I'm talking about, but you grab for it. And then you, you're grabbing more frantically as you go, because you're realizing that, you know, your, your efforts are not working. And I read this and I 
was thinking about how I would grab for the job. I would grab for the education. I would grab for, you know, the things that society says. And, and I got more frantic as I was grabbing because I nothing was working. And so then I'm really clawing at whatever it is. I'm getting more frantic and it's in step three or four where... Yeah, is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if he only manages well? And redoubling your efforts. Yes, that's the one. That right? is redoubling the efforts and going back more, more and more frantically. And that's exactly how it was as I was running out of options. It wasn't the job. It wasn't the education. And the more that I grabbed at and, and wasn't fulfilled, the more frantic I, I got inside of myself because I was running out of options. And, you know, the book talks about when faced with these options, you know, the life of a spiritual you know, toolkit, or am I going to keep going on? And I didn't come to that until there was no more options. And I, I was frantic for an, for an answer. And that's when I became like open minded to really want to do this and then finding people in my path. And I think that that happened because I, I really wanted to do it. So I was praying for like, somebody and something and the people and the places and you know and I really believed that God doesn't make it hard like the book says that it doesn't make it hard for people who are really searching so I just kept praying for God to put in front of me the people and places and things I needed and um and it's been that way ever since and it even when I don't know what's going on I do have enough experience now that God has put the people places and things in front of me that allow me to do the next thing and I have enough experiences of that that my faith is now my own and I don't have to use other people's experiences and faith anymore Roger and I want to tie something else back out of your experience as you know there is another pretty critical point in your recovery your life because recovery is life when we get to this point it's not separate from our life recovery mm -hmm. becomes life just for anyone out there that needs that clarification. They're not separate. Um, Recovery is number one and, and life falls into alignment. So as you were trying to make the transition out of Medicine Hat to Calgary, you also suffered a lot of turmoil and there was a lot of fear there and you weren't really sure. And you got to this point where you finally made a decision and then you were second guessing your decision, right? You listen to your spirit, you listen to your pillars and you know what there's a knowing in you and then, but the mind always gets involved and it wants to double think and fucking there's so much fear and you got an ex there and you know, you got a child involved and so there's all these things that kind of pull you and then finally you made a decision and you, you took action that was almost irreversible. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a good um, example to bring up. Thanks. Um, I I felt that I needed to be in Calgary and I felt like that was just something in me that I, I didn't really know how to explain and I just had a sense I needed to be in Calgary I guess and so I was following that because it was such a sure thing and I felt like it was sure but I was hitting so many roadblocks like it was like I was looking for a place and that went through didn't it didn't go through and then I was you know trying to there was that renting a room there there was uh, an apartment that I looked at and there was a roommate situation there was just these different options there was a few houses that I wanted to go look at but I couldn't get there because of you know the weather or my son was sick there was just lots of obstacles and I was starting to lose the confidence that what I felt in myself was what I should be doing and then my mind started going and it was like 
that was when I started with the bill. Is it my will or is it God's will? Maybe this is not even my will or God's will and I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Like if, if it was God's will, then why am I hitting so many roadblocks? And you just kept saying like, you got to just keep having the faith and put one foot in front of the other. But while that was happening, I think I didn't have enough recovery and my own experiences to really have a confidence around this is going to be okay. And I started to become full of fear and doubt. And I, I started to question if it was God's will or my will. And I went into the 12 by 12 there and I was thinking like, oh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm convincing myself of all these things, you know, how it talks about. We, we can't be inspired all the time and we can convince ourselves of some pretty stupid shit if we think that like maybe this is stupid shit and so I was starting to get really discouraged and um, one of the mistakes that I made I think um, is that I went under the whole mental health angle of I can't help anybody because I can't like I'm, I'm so not okay and I can't give from a broken cup or an empty cup or whatever I was thinking and I really felt like I didn't have anything to offer because I was feeling so shitty and it wasn't until like months later like that I had been in Calgary and I was going through the book with somebody and I was like holy shit and then there's Bill who you know he's just all over the depression and the self-pity and whatever and what's he doing he's frantically looking for somebody to help and so I think that this is another example of how God put people in my in my world you know the same as what I was praying like give me the people and the places and the things I need to do what I need to do and during that time I was getting a lot of calls from a treatment center to do these zoom step fives and uh, that kept me going and I had a couple of sponsees that were calling and they weren't very far behind me from the treatment center and I was like there was a lot of pressure to like have it figured out I was putting on myself and I that what that what I see that that actually did was I dug into the literature because I had to give something right so that this this whole idea like that you know we help others for you know the responsibility and the duty and the insurance and the pleasure of it like I can see how there's the insurance and because every time I was helping others because I needed I needed to because they were calling and I was not too far in front of them so I needed the answer so I was digging into the book and I was digging into you know the the podcast and I was attending your book study and I was just really trying to stay on top of the people that were wanting help it because I don't like turning that down but I would not seek it out and so that whole time frame was really dark those couple of months where it was just winter and I was you know pretty much by myself in my mind with just like a couple of people from Calgary and recovery that I was connected to and I, I look back at that now and it was actually a really beautiful time in my life because of what was going on and um, when things finally like worked out um, I got to Calgary and you know it took a little bit like there was a couple of things that happened you know that were unexpected and but I never doubted the decision because I felt it you know and once I got here and you know now I'm able to look back at that time and be like okay I see I see where I could have you know frantically looked for people to help and I also see how God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself and that people were contacting me and keeping me connected to the program and um, my program I think like you know there's the time frames of things but I also think that my recovery has been a little bit unique in that I was there was a couple of big movements that I had to make early on that really was a big like I'm leaping out of the fucking plane with with the parachute and this better work and that was early on, like, 
and before the first year was even up, I was moving cities and I was leaving my job and I was doing these things that I think ultimately um, sped up a couple of the growing pains. They happened all at once early on. And um, I think that, you know, having to rely on God in, in such an extreme way early on was beneficial. I'm glad that I was well supported. And I think that, you know, like if people are out there struggling, trying to do this themselves, the best thing that they can do is to stay connected with the people who are talking out of the book and who can guide them in the right ways when they're in their heads. Like this could not have been done by myself. And um, so many times, like it was uncanny, the conversations and the times you would call. And like what I want to point out is we don't do this alone, right? We don't do this alone. We rely on pillars. We rely on God. We build that relationship with God. Pillars are great, and you can get answers, you know, from pillars that are aligned with God if the pillars are God-centered and they, they have your well-being at the forefront. And a lot of times we have to care more about your life than your feelings because we get it, right? We're, we're more experienced. And part of what I said earlier was when you have the challenge and you navigate it properly with the decision with the practical application of what we're doing I can always see my will and when you were struggling with all of your struggles it's pretty fucking apparent to me that you were stuck in selfishness dishonesty resentment mostly fear and you were had the fear of your material security at the fear of your emotional security tied with your child and with your mom and you know your home and where you grew up and so there's all of these instincts pulling at you at once which are, is manifesting the self-centered fear and to me that was easy to spot so many times which is why talking with you was very easy for me to do because I could I could pin the self-centeredness in a fucking second and then once I showed it to you because you couldn't always see it and newer in recovery we can't always see self from self and it gets more cunning as we get older in our recovery and it gets a little more harder to see too which is why we have to continually work this program so kind of going back to our topic of grieving since you've been here you've settled in really nicely um and I think a lot of what's carried you through, and I can guarantee you it's the same for me, is sponsorship. Sponsorship will carry you through the toughest of times because when we get into the suffering and the pains of our life, we are almost always concerned with us and we are fucking fully engulfed in self. And the number one thing we can do is get out of self and go help somebody else. In Bill's story in the big book, it lays it out pretty clear. I, I was overwhelmed with resentment and self-pity, waves of self-pity, but I soon found that working with another alcoholic would always save the day. And it talks about it in the chapter, Working With Others, that it works when all other activities fail. What are the activities that other people are going to use or most people are going to use? Is just your prayer and meditation. Most won't even fucking really reach out. And if they're reaching out and they're new, they're reaching out to people that aren't 12 centered in God's step. So they're getting um, feedback based in the ego and old ideas and emotions and behaviors still. 
so they don't grow through it and that shit takes them back out right so navigating the challenges properly builds that self-esteem and self-confidence and when you're in the book like you're pretty confident in everything you're doing now right and and you're calm like there's just a calmness about you and so many people are attracted to your calmness and your ability to navigate the challenges that that's what they want now right and so that's really something that's really important to note You want to stop there yeah but we didn't really talk much about the grief thank you for tuning in to the udr cast we hope you have enjoyed this episode the viewpoints and the opinions expressed today were solely of the individual sharing them if you resonated with this episode please follow us and share this link with anyone that may benefit from it please visit us at billward.life to see everything that we have going on. We can recover, one person, one family, one community at a time. Thank you for tuning in to the UDR cast. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. The viewpoints and the opinions expressed today were solely of the individual sharing them. If you resonated with this episode, please follow us and share this link with anyone that may benefit from it. Please visit us at billward.life to see everything that we have going on. We can recover, one person, one family, one community at a time.